Amen. You may be seated. So I want to take a couple of minutes before we jump into the sermon today. Uh, there are small group sign-ups downstairs, and I just wanted to walk you through uh, some of those and, and what options there are right now downstairs. Uh, so I want to tell you, first of all, we ha- I'm very happy to say we have a financial small group. I think it's called uh, Doing Finances God's Way. And so that group is going to meet, and, and you're going to hear some great training from different people. I think it's a variety of different speakers on the subject of finances, like finances in church, finances and debt, you know, well, how do you do a budget, you know, there's all sorts of different kind of topics, so, you know, if, if you got one figured out, there might be something else you need to hear, it's going to cover a broad range of things, and uh, Jonathan Sharp will be leading that group. I highly encourage you to consider uh, doing finances God's way. And then we have a study, we have a small group on Acts, so we're, we're doing Acts in the service, uh, Mohia Karianjahi is going to be doing one um, in a small group format. Now, I knew this was going to be good because once I started preaching Acts, I think you came up to me, Muhia, like right afterwards and were like, I love Acts because I love it and I'd love to do a group on it. So uh, if you want to go deeper into the text, if you're like, you know, the passage does not go far enough, you know, this is your group, all right? But, but really, you know, it's not just digging in, but it's also application. What does this mean for us? So if, if that kind of a group interests you, uh, that group is available to sign up downstairs, and I encourage that one. If you're a parent, we have one on parenting that's going to meet on the Wednesdays that Fun Club doesn't meet. You could guess why, right? We're already busy, right? Um, there's Fun Club uh, twice a month, but we'll also be doing a parenting small group. Um, I'm going to be leading that one, and that's going to be called uh, Parental Guidance Required. That's a study that Andy, Pastor Andy Stanley did. So You parents, that's a great one for you to sign up and get involved there. And then last but not least, we're offering Rooted. Now, if you don't know the history of Rooted at this church, uh, it was fall of a couple years ago, a year and a half ago maybe, that we we launched Rooted at the church, which is a 10-week discipleship course. And I asked everybody to go through it. Would would you all go through it? And we had 80% of the church that that went through Rooted. And, And Rooted kind of covers... It covers all the basics of the faith. You're going to go through everything uh, you need that are, that are kind of the basics. But it's also not just, you're not just reading and answering questions and then meeting in your group. It's also experiential. Uh, there, there's huge growth opportunity there. There's a time of prayer and fasting and then you get together with your group and you spend time in prayer together. There's a night where uh, you talk about strongholds. You know, in what ways has uh, Satan been attacking your life and, and men separate and women separate and, and, and then you pray for each other about whatever those strongholds are. Uh, it, it's just an excellent, excellent 10 weeks. It's an intense 10 weeks, but it's good. And so that one's going to be on Mondays. I'm doing a Rooted group. So uh, again, I, if you haven't done Rooted, I highly, highly encourage it uh, to be in that. And it's something that many people in this church have done you could probably find someone around you and ask them what they think, and they should be able to tell you their experience in it. Excellent stuff. So, all right, I want to jump into the text this morning. So would you turn to Acts chapter 5? I did so much reading for this text, and it just, it just, this week was, 
I'm telling you, so much reading, so much thinking about Acts chapter 5. I mean, I thought preaching about two people who fall over dead was hard. You know, th- this is tough stuff right here. I mean, really wrestling with this. Here's where we're at in the book of Acts. You know, we talked about Pentecost, right? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church is born, right? And so now the church is growing, and, and, and there's 3,000 on one day, and now there's more. In fact, in this passage, you're going to see that Luke just starts saying multitudes of people. Like, he's not even counting anymore, right? He's just like, multitudes of people are, are coming to Christ. And, and so grace is going out. People are being healed. And, and then you have pushback. You have opposition. Because even though there's amazing things happening, you know, whenever you see a movement of God... There's also going to be a counter-movement, a movement of Satan, a movement of our own, our own sinfulness. And, and so you see that in, in last week when we looked at Ananias and Sapphira who pretended to give all of the money from this property that they sold, and, and they both died. Um, and now we see a second form of opposition, this one now coming from the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling council of, of Jewish people. Before I get into that, um, I'll just tell you, I'm going to talk politics today, but I'm trying to do it in a way that I'm not saying this issue, that issue, because I know that can be a little... It can't, there's a place to talk about those things in the church. But what I want to do this morning is to paint some broad strokes as we think uh, politically. I want us to think biblically. Um, I don't know about you, but I think just saying that I'm tired of thinking about politics right now. You know, like, I, some of you are shaking your head at me right now. Yes, I'm tired of thinking about it. And I'm very concerned that we're getting a political message this morning. Well, let me tell you, I'm tired too, okay? I'm tired. And uh, I, it hurts me to see the, the, the division in the country. It hurts to see the hate in the country. Um, it hurts to see that we really can't work together. We'd really just stand on our own platforms and, and shout at the other people. It's just, it's just hard. And just when I think I'm escaping it, just when I think, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not looking at the news today because I'm just tired of it. I'm just going to pray for them all, which is what we're supposed to do, by the way. Just when I think I'm done, you know, one of my kids brings home uh, uh, a newsletter from school. Not a school newsletter, but, but, a, but a, a news mini magazine, you know, and, and it has all these news stories and you gotta, and you gotta read the news stories and answer questions about it. So I'm talking to my kids about the news and what should we do about the Keystone Pipeline? I don't know, you know. And so, it's like my kids would try to answer these questions. What will you do? What would you do? Will you consider the Native Americans and what they're thinking? And you're just like, ah, you know, you can't get away from it. But I wanna talk about it. And I wanna paint with some broad strokes and maybe help us think through how we approach these issues. Some foundational things I think we need to understand. Look at Acts chapter 5. If Ananias and Sapphira are the opposition from within the church, there's also opposition from outside the church. But let's start in verse 12. There's good things happening here. Now many signs and wonders, this is 5.12, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. 
And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. See, he's not even counting anymore. It's just multitudes. So that even... Uh, so they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow, his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But, verse 17, but the high priest rose up, You should notice that, rising. You're going to see rising again later. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand. There's, There's a rising again, right? Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they didn't find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone, someone came and told them, Look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple. There they are standing in the temple, teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name, yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us? But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader, some translations say prince, and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. We'll stop there for a moment. Just a moment. Um, Here's what's going on. You've got the apostles working miracles. Miracles. And you've got... You've got the Jewish council, the ruling council, angry. They're jealous. These people are so popular, these Christians, these apostles. And so they bring them in and, and they throw them in jail. And, and then in the night, you know, right, the angel of the Lord comes and lets them out. This is the first of three jailbreaks you see in Acts. Okay, the first of three. And so the doors are open and they go out and there's this, there's this moment of like comedy where it's like, where'd they go? Well, well the, the jail's all locked up. Well, what happened? They're gone. And then somebody, some unnamed person comes in and says, uh, the, the, they're in the temple. They're, they're standing up teaching. Like, I thought we stopped that. I thought we locked them up. No, they're out there teaching and preaching to the people. Well, bring them in here. And so they come in and they're like, why are, then they say, why are you faulting us? You know, why are you putting Jesus' blood on? They don't even say his name, which is interesting. They don't say the name Jesus. Uh, they almost avoid it in this, in this text. But they say, why, why are you saying his blood is on us? And if you remember your Gospels, right? Remember when Jesus was crucified, they said, let, their, let his blood be on us and our children. 
So why are you blaming us? And Peter says, because you killed them. You're the Jewish ruling council. You condemned him. You sent him to Pilate. You did this. And he said, when it comes to preaching Jesus, we've got to obey God and not man. And then he says something very interesting. He says, Jesus, whom you crucified, has been exalted. And then Peter calls him a name. And, and, and I, said it, I said it both ways. You know, um, he calls him a prince and a savior. A prince and a savior. Um, this is verse 31. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. I think that is a key key verse. 31 is a key verse in understanding what's going on in chapter 5. And as I was banging my head against the wall this week trying to figure this out, I, I think 31 is such an important key to figuring out politics, to figuring out Jesus, to figuring out the church and what in the world we're doing here in the world today. Um, this is huge. That Jesus was exalted at the right hand of God as leader and Savior. Now think with me a little bit histor- biblical history here. God makes the earth. He's the creator of everything. But sin enters the world. Sin is ruining relationships, destroying people. And so God chooses a nation for himself named Israel. He chooses a guy named Abraham and tells him to go. This nation gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then Egypt comes in and, 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 and rules over Israel. When, when they, and, and, and then God releases the people of Israel from Egypt. And now they're in the promised land. And what, what do they want? Well, they don't want the God that led them out of Egypt. They want a king. Give us a king like the nations. And so God gives them a king. And they have more and more kings. Some of them good most of them bad. And over and over, it's, it's this king thing. And then they go into exile because the kings are wicked and the people become wicked. And then Jesus comes on the, on the scene. And what are, what are the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he starts to preach to people? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the kingdom is here. I mean, he could have said it like this too. The king is here. The king shows up on the scene. This is the king you've been looking for. You wanted a king like the nations. Now you have the God king, King Jesus. He's here. And, and, and yes, when he said that, there is a mystery in it because when you think of the kingdom of God, it's here. And yet, it's not fully here because Jesus hasn't returned yet, has he? And so we're waiting for the day when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom on earth. He is coming back. But Jesus also proclaimed the kingdom is here and now. I mean, you certainly know that most of his parables were about the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God. And it wasn't like he told us those parables just for the future. It was for now. By the way, in Fun Club, we're, we're doing kingdom parables with the kids. We're talking about the kingdom in Fun Club every week. It's awesome. Um, and we're telling them there's hidden meetings in the parables, and you've got you to see what Jesus meant when he was telling these stories. Really cool. Um, but the kingdom is here and now, even though Jesus hasn't returned yet to fully set it up, it's here. So 
when Jesus went back to heaven, it's not that he was saying, I'll see you later, and at that point I'll, at that point I'll be king. It's that he's king today. He's king today over the whole world. And when, so when Peter talks to the, the Senate, the, the ruling council, and he says, you crucified your leader and your savior, your prince and your savior. It's like you took your king and you put him on the cross. And so it's, it's, no, uh, it, it's not chance that Jesus had a sign above his head that said, king of the Jews, right? King of the, I mean, yeah, they meant it kind of sarcastically, didn't they? But it was still true. You crucified your king. But now, where is the king? You know, he's not reigning from a throne in Jerusalem. He's reigning from a throne in heaven. That's where he's at right now. So I just want to make a simple point that I think Acts 5 is saying. I think Peter's saying it very clearly in verse 31 when he says, He's our leader, our prince, and our savior. And we obey God rather than men. This is the simple point. Really easy, kids. You can get this. It's simple. Who's in charge here? Jesus is in charge here. Who's in charge of this world? Well, I know in some sense Satan does a lot of things, but you can't forget that Jesus is in charge of this world. And he's exalted over it. He's at the right hand of God. He is the king. Now, I know that's something we say and we sing about Jesus being the king, and he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the king of the Jews. But, but had, do you think about politics in a way that thinks about Jesus being the king? I mean, I've said all of this stuff I've said today just to make a simple point. Do you think, when you think politically, do you think about Jesus being the king of America and the king of Mexico and the king of Canada and the king of Germany and the king of Japan? Do, do you think of Jesus being the king of of the world. Is that the way you think? Because if Jesus is king of the world, then we have to obey Jesus rather than men, which is what the apostles say. You tell us not to preach and teach about Jesus? No, we're going to. You tell us you can't bring Bibles into your country? We're going to bring Bibles into your country. Because we obey Jesus over people. If that's true, if that's true, it will change how you view politics. I'd like to offer you three ways, three broad strokes. You might want me to get more specific, and some of you wish I would give some like political examples. Some of you are happy that I'm not, and you're going you're to figure this out for yourself. Um, here, here's three examples of what I mean. Oh, and one, one more example. I, I, can't, I can't miss this. I love this. Um, remember when Jesus is talking to Pilate and he's on trial? And Pilate said, and Jesus isn't like playing easy with him. Like, you're not giving me clear answers here. You know, and Pilate says, you know, don't you realize I have authority over you to kill you or release you? And remember what Jesus says? You wouldn't have any authority over me unless it was granted to you from above. Which means that every president... Every leader, every dictator is underneath that authority. So let's go there. Let's go there. Number one, if Jesus is in charge, then citizens will be blessed through the compassion of the church. If Jesus is in charge of the world, then the citizens of the world 
should be blessed through the compassion of the church. I say that because we should be the most compassionate people around. The church. And so you see in Acts 5.12, what's going on? There's signs and wonders done by uh, the apostles. And people are being healed. And, and it's so riveting to people that um, some of their superstitions take over and, and they're bringing people out and they're hoping Peter's shadow just falls on them so that they might be healed. Again, very superstitious and no, we're not told that Peter's shadow had miraculous powers. But, but they were so taken by what was going on and the healing that was happening. Oh, it, says, it says in the first part of Acts there that you notice that there are people that didn't join the church because they were kind of scared. You know, I guess when Ananias and Sapphira dropped over dead, some people said, I'm out. <laughs> you know, uh, the fakers tend to leave when things get serious, don't they? You know, if you're not all in, seeing people fall over is not going to help you get all in. Or maybe it will, but maybe it won't. Um, the church. We don't walk around casting our shadows on people. That'd be kind of cool if we could, but that's very superstitious, you know. We, I, we don't walk through Three Lakes and Eagle River and, 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 just, and just kind of watch, you know, and you can sit right here and my shadow will fall and you'll, you'll get up and be well. Um, but we do go into our communities performing acts of service, which is why I, I can't help but think that this whole thing worked out. We're talking about Northwood Share this morning. I mean, this is what it's all about, helping people, loving people. And so whether it's a firewood ministry that we have, moving people into their homes, uh, whether it's serving a dinner at Fun Club, uh, whether it's leading a small group, you know, we're welcoming the community in. Come on in. Come on in. We want to love you, want to serve you. And not only come on in, but let's go out. And people talk. People talk. People know. What churches are doing what? We get phone calls every week. People talk. They know, who, they know who's ministering, who's doing things, where people are having needs taken care of. They know. If Jesus is in charge of the world, then that means the church is under Jesus' orders to go into their communities as a force for blessing, a force for good. That's what we're here to do. And so maybe one of the most convicting questions I've ever been asked in my entire life as far as ministry goes is this. If our church were to disappear, would the community miss it? If Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church were to go away tomorrow, would the people of Three Lakes, Eagle River, Monaco, Rhinelander, would they miss us? Because of the way we're in the community. Now, they might not want to join us yet. That, that's, Acts, that's Acts 12 and following, right? Some people were too scared to join them, right? They, they might be too scared to come in here and really join us. But would they miss us? Because they hold us in such high esteem because of the work we're doing in the community. Are we a force for blessing to the citizens of the United States? That's political. That's political. Because I know there's government programs and we can argue about the validity of government programs and if you don't work, should you eat and all those other things. We need to, argue, we need to talk about those things and discuss them. But we've got to say, bottom line, the church is a force for good in our communities. And if we were gone, 
I hope we would be missed. Secondly, oh, one more thing on being the force for good. I should stick to my notes a little more maybe, huh? Um, I don't think it's any mistake that the apostles are ministering around the temple. I think temple is a huge deal in Acts when you see temple come up. Because the Jewish temple is no longer, like, like, like they're still worshiping there and they're still ministering there. But what you soon find out is now, pretty soon the, the, the disciples are going to be scattered and they're going to find that the temple goes with them because their body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Understand this, when you go into your communities, you take God with you. You're the temple. You're taking, it's God in you going to people. And people are experiencing God when you minister to them, when you encourage them, when you love them, when you do something good for them. It's God in you. The temple's going out. It's not, this is not the temple. This building. You're the temple. You go out. Um, I, don't, I, just, I just think the temple is a huge deal here. I wish I could go further on it, but I'm going to keep moving. Um, number two. If Jesus is in charge of the whole world, then the authorities are obligated, they're duty-bound to govern with righteousness. Now think about that for a second. If Jesus is in charge of the world, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority? Yeah, all authority. Authority over governments, authority over governments. Every country in the world, every country in the world. Every state in America, every state, every city, all authority has been given to Jesus. And if that is true, then authorities are duty-bound to govern with righteousness. Now look at what Gamaliel does. I I didn't read it yet. I was saving it. Um, Now, you know the Sadducees were furious. When, When they were proclaiming Jesus, they were jealous. They were furious. They wanted to kill them. Uh... Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Now you've got apostles talking about the resurrection of Jesus. It's just crazy, and they're so mad. But somebody comes to the defense of the apostles. This is verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. So he's like, Send out the apostles. I just want to have a talk with you guys, okay? Let's just have a little little powwow here. And he says, uh, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. And then, and then he gets two examples. And I'm not going to read them for you in detail. There's a lot of text here. But he gets two examples of Jewish leaders who rose up and, and said, follow me, you know, I'm going to lead you as a Messiah into victory. And those guys died and their movement died with them. There was Thutis. And I believe the other guy is Judas in verse 37. Those guys came onto the scene and said, follow me, everybody. And then they got killed and their movement ended with them. And so he says, verse 38, So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan, for if this plan or this undertaking is from man, it will fail. If it's from God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak the name of Jesus, which is hilarious because that's exactly what they're going to do. And they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple 
and from house to house. See, they took the temple with them. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So this is what happens. You got the Sadducees on the council, and they just want to kill him. Just they're so mad, they just want to kill him. And then Gamaliel, who's a Pharisee, he stands up. Right here, standing again in our text. You know, the Sadducees stood up to oppose. The high priest stands up to oppose. Now Gamaliel stands up and says, "Wait a minute. How about you leave these guys alone?" And let's let God work it out. If they're talking from God, God will support them. And if, and if you try to oppose God, it's not going to work anyway. And, and so Gamaliel gives this good advice. You want to know one who, this is really funny, just, just trivia here. Who was one of Gamaliel's most famous students? You all know who he is, I think. Paul. Paul. You guys knew that. You were like right there, so sharp. Uh, Paul was one of Gamaliel's students who apparently was a little more zealous than Gamaliel, right? You know, Gamaliel's like, Let's not kill them. And Paul's like, no, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill them. So it wasn't much like his, uh, like his rabbi, was he? Uh, Gamaliel is one of the most respected guys at the time. They listened to him. Here's the point. Here's the point. You have some authorities that say, kill those Christians. You have another authority that says, no, we're not going to kill them. And the point is this. Authorities are underneath the lordship of Christ. And they need to govern in, the, in a wise way, in a righteous way, in a way that honors morality, that stands up for the truth. And I know when you look at politics today, you see a lot of leaders who are not very righteous and who, who lie, and, and, and it drives us crazy. But know this, they will have to give an account to Christ for how they govern. And, and you might say, well, no, 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 that, that's one of those, those hard areas. We've got to keep church and state separate. We've got to keep... We've got to keep um, our, our, our religious views and our moral views out of politics because they have no place there. Listen, Jesus is already in it. You can't keep it out. He's already in it. He's already ruling. You might say, well, no, no, no. We can't, we can't do that because um, people, people in, in, in power don't always believe in Jesus. So we can't, we can't hold them to a Jesus standard if they don't believe in Jesus. And I have one answer for that. One word for you for that. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, we looked at this last summer. Nebuchadnezzar, you don't necessarily have to believe in the God of Israel, but if you flaunt yourself in front of him, he will bring you down. And you'll be eating grass like a wild, crazy, insane person. He will bring you down. It doesn't matter whether our leaders believe in the same God and worship the same Jesus for them to have to give an account to that Jesus one day. They're still under his authority. If they want to flaunt their ability to, to promote unbiblical values, unbi- that, that's an oxymoron, unbiblical initiatives, then they can do that, but no, they're going to come under the judgment of God. That's why we vote the ways we vote. That's why we consider our leaders and cast our vote for people that we believe will govern in a way that honors Christ. Because Christ is truly over them. Lastly. Number three. If Jesus is in charge, then the church pays the price of gospel proclamation. Pay the price. You've got to know 
Satan also has a counter kingdom going on in this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He wants to rule over the nations. He's always been about power. He's always been about taking God's place. That's what he does. Pride is what he does. He's the devil. And so he is going to incite people to oppose the church. He's going to incite rulers to try to crush the church, but it won't work because the kingdom can't be stopped. It's a mustard seed. It will grow. It starts out small, but you can't stop it. It cannot be stopped. That's the church growing. And so the church says, if you corrupt leaders want to restrict religious freedom, if you want to punish us, then go ahead and punish us, but we will keep proclaiming. I mean, I look at this passage and I'm like, do you know when it says they beat them, it probably means, like, like, it's just kind of interesting to think about. Gamaliel says, leave them alone, guys. Leave them alone. And so the Sadducees say, okay, we'll leave them alone. Send them out to be beaten. You know, I'm like, what? that's not really leave them alone, is it? I mean, this is probably the 40 minus 1 lashes. You know, the 39 lashes, you've heard of that. You've seen depictions of it in Passion of the Christ and other places. It's brutal. And you could die from it. I mean, like, like you're one step away from execution. So beat them and send them back, you know, and tell them not to stop, just stop talking about Jesus. You've got to stop. And so they rejoice because they're able to suffer like Jesus. What? Like what kind of guys are these that, that get 39 lashes most likely and then after that they go out and start talking about Jesus? What kind of guys are these that get broken out of prison and go straight to the temple and keep proclaiming? You know, if you broke out of prison, you'd be trying to get out of our country or something, wouldn't you? You know, like jailbirds try to leave and hide someplace. That's what people do when they break out of jail. And these guys, they go public. This isn't normal. Um, the church pays the price of gospel proclamation. You've got to remember, Satan has a lot of power in this world, but God has him on a leash. We remember that. And everything Satan does will ultimately fit into God's overarching redemptive plan. But he hates the church. And he is a lion seeking to devour. And so we, the church, say, you know what? We'll pay the price. So, if the first convicting question I asked maybe this morning was what would happen if our community, if our church was gone, would people miss us in this community? The second convicting question I would ask you is this. You ready? What is the price of your silence? What price would Satan have to pay to get you to shut up about your faith? What's the price? Because Satan's willing to pay it. Just so you're clear. He's willing to pay that price. What's the price of your silence? He'll get somebody to mock you at work to shut you up. He's willing to pay that price. He's, he's willing to do lots of things to get you to be quiet. His main strategy, of course, to stop the gospel going out, one of the main strategies is silence you. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about it with your friends. Don't talk about it with your family. It's only going to cause problems. Yeah, I know it causes problems. 39 lashes is a big problem. What's the price of your silence? And are you willing to pay that price with rejoicing? 
with rejoicing. I'm so thankful Jesus is in charge. I'm so thankful we can praise him in a free country. But let's not pretend that there's not opposition to the message of the gospel, even in this place. And we want to proclaim it clearly, boldly, and joyfully. Let me pray for you. Worship team, would you come up? Jesus, uh, we exalt you as the king. You rule perfectly. And you cause the rising of rulers and the falling of rulers. You've been doing it for hundreds and thousands of years. We have biblical examples of it. We have modern examples of it. Oh, that you, please give us leaders that follow you and that govern with righteousness. Give us those leaders. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.